Praise God. If I said to you this morning, Hiya, child, what would you think I'm saying? Hiya, child. Have an idea. Pearl, come on, you're the brainy one. Sounds like that, doesn't it? It's actually Hebrew for revival. Hiya, Chaya. Come on, let's say it together. Hiya, Chaya. I like that. Charlotte's got a sister called Chai. <laughs> Hiya, Chai. Hiya, Chaya. Revival. And that's why we're here. There's a longing within our heart for an outpouring from heaven of the Holy Ghost in such a way that the community is saturated with the presence of God. Amen. When you mentioned the bagpipes, Bill, I immediately thought of Duncan Campbell with the revival in the Hebrides. As a young boy, he was before he was converted, he got a chanter and picked it up awful quick and soon he was playing in all the dances and in all, all the public things and getting blind drunk and the rest of it. And shortly before he went to war, in the First World War, he was in the cavalry, a horse. I don't think, I think he might even have got saved during the war, at home and leave or something, but he was in the last great cavalry charge of history. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cavalrymen with swords and with pistols charged the enemy lines with machine guns. They were just shot down. Yeah. Horses went, riders went, they charged through. Duncan Campbell was wounded, fell down, horse dead. And then came the New Zealand cavalry. They came in waves. I think there might have been thousands. In fact, my memory, my thoughts, it was about 10,000 horsemen. The last great cavalry charge, mown down like the grass in a field. And when the New Zealand one, because they, they almost, Duncan's folks almost, the cavalry almost got to the lines of the enemy. It was just sheer numbers hammering down on their horses. And he thought he was, that was him gone. And he was so glad that he had given his life to the Lord. Dead men were all around him on top of him. Dead horses, screaming people, horses screaming. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like Duncan Campbell. One of the New Zealand cavalrymen's horse clipped him, the body, and he let out a groan. The man the cavalryman heard it, and in spite of all the smoke, the guns, the bullets, the death, the bloodshed, the agony, the hell of it all, that man, when he got through the enemy lines and put an end to the machine guns, he immediately turned and came back to look for this body that had groaned 
and he, he got out Duncan Campbell off the ground, put him across his horse and took him to the hospital, the field hospital, and saved his life. You know, that's a picture in a sense of what we need right now. We need a miracle. See in the news this morning, Sir David Amos murdered a conservative MP in a Methodist church. Our country is dying. It's like floods of wickedness. And the Christians themselves have been mown down, backsliding. We need the man and the horse in Revelations. I know he's coming soon. But before he comes and rescues and judges and reigns, We need someone to rise up, lift up the dying. We need a higher chaya in Scotland, we really do, in the UK. Father, we come before you this morning and we do pray for Sir David Amos, Amos's family, Amos's family. How tragic, how in mourning there must be his constituents are heartbroken for a greatly loved man. Have mercy on the violent, O Lord, and bring them not only to judgment, but to Jesus, to justice and to Jesus. And Lord, we pray for Scotland, that Scotland might be saved. Yes. It's too late for conferences. It's not yet time for conventions, but it's time for conversions. Floods and floods and floods of tears and multitudes converted. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us, O Lord. And Thursday night, it was a very busy day for me. I was in church from well before nine o'clock till after ten o'clock at night. Nine o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at night. After. But I went home and I got my Bible out and I was sitting reading the Bible and I fell asleep. Sort of thing that happens. I don't know how long I slept. 
I know I went to bed at half past one. But I heard a voice as clear as clear can be. Don't think other, fo other folks would have heard it, but I got it. And it said this. From turbulence to tranquility. I wrote it down. I didn't, I didn't feel in turbulence. But as I was preparing for this morning, I couldn't help thinking of the storm in the Sea of Galilee. Luke chapter 8. I couldn't help thinking of higher Chaya. That's been in my mind. Revival. It means to it means to revive higher Chaya. It means to repair. It means to give new life. It means to refresh and to re-establish. Above all, it means to make alive. Again, that's the Hebrew interpretation. To make alive again, higher chaya. I want to say this by way of an aside. I know I'm just going to blather on this morning. I get all my notes. Never preached any of this before in my life. But then, you know, you know, we often have a double-minded. With part of our mind, we, we believe for revival. On the other part of our mind, we say, never happened. How many of you are rejoicing in the 1888 Rothschild revival? <coughs> Did you not hear about it? Everybody should have heard about it. I only heard about it until recently. But it was in the Victoria Hall that started. <coughs> Anybody know the Victoria Hall? I can remember, along with a friend of mine, insisting that we book the Victoria Hall in Rossi and have a convention. No, we packed it. And I often wondered why that happened. Oh, we had a good speaker from America. can't remember his name, but we know it was a good speaker. But do you know there was a history of revival? That hadn't gone away. <laughs> Annie Martin and Miss Mitchell, two faith mission pilgrims. Very unusual. It wasn't women in those days, but they, they were the, the first two, I think, women. Annie Martin married the founder eventually, years later. John George Govan, the faith mission. And so they felt, you see, wherever the Lord leads you, you need to go. I, I put out a tweet earlier this morning, I twittered, you know, like a wee bird on a branch, twittered away, and uh, I was saying, before we can have revival, we have to have a season of preparation. Every revival has had a season of preparation. Every life that's going to be involved, we need... A season of preparation.
And I, I, I twittered this morning, wherever God tells you to go, go, and whatever he tells you to do, do. Good preparation. These two women, I just want to say this, women were kind of despised by church men, if you understand, you know. Church, the churches were always full of men with lovely suits and ties. I mean, packed when I was going on. And when it was rainy, there was tables always out the back and all the soft hats. Wasn't, do you remember all the hats? You can see, you need to make sure you got your own. I remember getting one. Well, we feather in it. I thought I was. <laughs> I'd be about 18. <laughs> Did you get one as well? <laughs> well, let me, let me just tell you, these two women, when they went, they could hardly get anybody to come. They weren't in Victoria Hall at the time. But they were getting a handful of people. But did that deter them? No, no. They went out and did open airs and spoke to more people. Rossi was a very popular holiday resort. They gave out gospel tracts. They prayed continually. And Miss Mitchell, after a week or two, she wrote to all her friends in the prayer union that she belonged to and asked for special prayer. And then suddenly, like a thunderclap of a summer rainstorm, they were preaching to 800 people every night to overflowing crowds and on a Sunday night to 1,500 people. And they went on for weeks. Just happened. We need that, don't we? I've, I've read it a couple of weeks ago and it thrilled me. Two unknown women, young women, very young, possibly 19 years old, 20 years old. And nobody wanted them really because they were women. You know, the first Presbyterian woman minister wasn't ordained until 1949, 29. And she was but the only one for 20 or 30 years. I knew her personally. I knew her really well, Miss Barr. From turbulence to tranquility. It says here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. You know this, we won't get a revival until we launched out. And that's what we're doing here. In the, even on a Saturday morning, we're launching out. We're in shallow water now, but we're going to go into deep water. We're going to get to the other side because our vision is upon Holy ground being this ground, holy ground being wherever we go, we'll see revival. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. 
Let me, let me say, this is like what happens. When we launch out, it seems as if Jesus is asleep. You know, I would rather have Jesus with me in the boat asleep than the greatest navigator, sailor, captain, wide awake in the middle of a storm. Amen? In a storm, I'm happy to have Jesus sleeping with, uh, right beside me. Amen? Do you know, I, I, I reckon Jesus was sleeping with one eye open. And they were in jeopardy. And look. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We need to be made alive again. Perishing talks about... So we'll hear in a higher chaya moment. Revivals are called awakenings. And we first of all have to awaken to a perilous state. Unless you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom of God. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm from turbulence to tranquility. How often have we seen men and women with their life in a terrible state Turbulence in every area of their life. And then they come to Christ. And when they're genuinely born again, let me tell you, with Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm as you go sailing home. Can you say amen? amen. Seen it. I told the story, in, I think on Wednesday night at the Bible study. As a young man, I was going to Montreal, but I had no money. So I got that Freddie Laker flight for London. Walk on, walk off, jump out with a parachute. No, no, sorry, no parachutes for second-class passengers. <laughs> to New York. I got to New York, and I had quite a lot of time to spare, and I'm carrying a, a, in the first place I went to. Do you know, I was so amazed. That when I got to the first railway station, because you got a train from where I, I was out and away in the sticks, it wasn't in the big fancy. Freddie Lake had got a patch of ground in the desert somewhere. But I thought I'd got to New York and I still had another 20 miles to go. <laughs> Looking out the window, everything was so different. And, uh, but when I got into town, the first place I went to was 42nd Street. I thought, I've got to go to 42nd Street. I'm only going to be in New York for about... 15 hours, and I've got a case. When I got there, what I saw was Aaron Policeman standing over a black guy with one of these big boom boom. Remember the big things that used to put on their shoulders? I, mean, I don't know if it, what it happened to him. And I suddenly thought, I'm here. I'm a wee, you fell off in Glasgow. So when I came to the bus station, or the railway another railway station, I saw a place where you could put your suitcases. I hadn't much money. And so 
I put my suitcase in, and the man said to me, when I, I sp spoke, he said, you're for Glasgow, I'm for Springburn. <laughs> and that made me feel a lot better. And I went and booked my bus ticket to Montreal overnight on a bus. Do you know, it cost a lot of money. It's about $32. That seemed a lot of money to me. Do you know it was more expensive than the flight and an aeroplane? I didn't even know that. I could have stayed at the airport and flown for a lot less than the bus. Anyway, you learn these things. And the man that sat, I had the, the seat I got was beside a man who was very, very angry. He had come down uh, for a happy weekend. He was coming to a conference, but he was going to go and get blitzed and all the rest of it. He, he had drunk quite a bit. He was cursing and swearing like a trooper, I mean. And he was a man maybe about 35, maybe 40. And we got to the border. He kept moaning. Every hotel room had been booked. He had never booked. He couldn't get a hotel room, so he had to get this late night bus back again. He had nowhere else to go. He was absolutely raging. When, when we got to the Canadian border, I was the only one who was a foreigner. So all the rest all get staying in. So I, I was taken in and interviewed for an hour by the authorities. I probably didn't have a visa. I don't think I needed one. But anyway, when I get back in, the whole bus clapped and cheered. And, uh, and, and the, the chap had sobered up quite a lot. He wasn't actually drunk, he just had some drinks. And he said, what do you do? So he told me, he said, I asked him, I said, what do you do? He said, I'm the bodyguard of the Prime Minister of where Montreal is, of that state. He says, what do you do? I says, I'm a preacher of the gospel. He went, oh my God. <laughs> but I want to tell you this, he told me about his life. And as the sun came up in Montreal, as we arrived in the, the morning, that man was thoroughly born again. I mean, thoroughly born again. And I said to him, have you got a Bible? He says, no, but I'm going straight to the Christian bookshop. I know exactly where it is. I'm going to drop off there, he says, and then I'll move on. But you know, we can carry an anointing for the right? People can get saved and can come to Christ. The devil tells us down in our thoughts, the storms are too great and we're too small and there's nothing really is going to happen through our life. Just think of these two lasses. What a great work they did. The Rossi Revival, 1888. And so we've got the storm. We're perishing. But to revive means to make alive again. It says, and he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? 
Is it in yourself? I saw a documentary the other day and they were asking people questions and I was amazed the number of young people who said they, they believed in their own ability to do everything. They were as if they had been taught to say this. I believe in myself. Is that where your faith is? In yourself? The answer is surely not. But we have to search ourselves. Our faith is in the Lord, is it not? Who made heaven and earth. Who does all things well. And he rebuked the wind and the waves from turbulence to tranquility. I believe that we need as a people of God to really rise up in the name of Jesus and speak to the turbulence and we'll see I believe we will see if we're faithful and clean in our hearts we'll see the turbulence change to tranquility Jesus says peace I leave with you not as the world gives they do it with guns and they do it with laws and they, they do it with bribes and they do it with the flesh. Don't you long to see the peace of God reigning over this land? Have you ever seen have you ever seen our nation in such a rotten, filthy, dirty state than it is at the moment? Probably deep, deep in debt. Terribly, terribly divided. Totally rebelling against God. Living in a moral quagmire. We need to rise up. We need to pray. We need to awaken the Lord, as it were. Do we really, really feel we're perishing? Our churches, our schools, our institutions, the very fabric of our society, even the roads and the graffiti that you see. And you know, I stood in the old Pollock shopping centre with a mic and Charlotte beside me, my wee faithful wife. I used to do this a lot, and I wish I still did it. I had a mobile mic in my car, and I used to just take opportunities to preach. And I stood at the door of the, the old one, and I said, there is so much filth and dirt around Pollock. It's reflecting the state of your heart. I said, I wouldn't bring my dog to walk around here. It's so filthy. And then a guard came out. Alec, you know that kind of thing. Big guy. He said, sir, you have to move. Causing quite a stir. He said, I'll escort you out. The, you know, I said, thank you very much. And then we'd only taken about 10 steps. He went, that's enough. You're now outside the boundary. You can do what you want now. 
So I carried on and I shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the gospel is the only thing that can change society, really, really. But we need to be preparing ourselves for revival. Often my prayers are just moans to the Lord. And at that I'm sure. I've been saying this for weeks and weeks now to folks. I'm, I'm wanting to see my prayer life transformed. I mean, I've got a prayer list that I pray every day. It's maybe 200 names on it, at least, I would think. And it gets bigger every so often if you add you know, other names. It's no prayer list we need, it's prayer life. To calm the storms and bring the tranquility. From turbulence to tranquility. From turbulence to tranquility. And so they get out alive. But the land in the land of the Gadarenes, and here's another man who needs Hayachaya, who needs life to be brought to him, who needs transformation. The Gadarene demoniac, he's got chains and can break them, but he's still in chains that he can't break. He's cutting himself with stones and knives. He's terrorizing the whole area. He's living in a tomb, or in dead men's tombs. I went once praying with a friend around the Glasgow necropolis behind, the, behind uh, the cathedral. And I'm trying to get fit in my life. I'll be man, can I? One of these tombs. And he says, This is a scary place. He, he said, I see dead people walking. I live here. There's people in that strong. There's people living like the gathering demonia. In fact, I would say that the whole of the unsaved community anywhere in the world, in Scotland or in Saudi Arabia, wherever you want to go, need to be set free through Jesus Christ. It was for freedom that Jesus came. It was to set us free from our sin. From turbulence. And Jesus said to him, What's your name? He said, Legion. Because many demons had entered him and they begged him that he would not command them to be thrown into the abyss. You know, Luke chapter 8 begins with mentioning two women who were demon-possessed and had been set free, Mary Magdalene and Joanne. 
how many people are demon-possessed? I was due to take a christening tonight in a hall, a community hall, in Duntoker. A wee family that goes away back. I've known them more than 50 years. I knew the parents. Robert and June, he was a bus driver and his wife was a bus conductor. And that's how they met. And get saved. But because of COVID, it's been cancelled and it's three weeks now away. I'll go and do the christening. I do all the christenings for this family, all the funerals, all the weddings, all the crisis things. Always phone Alec. I probably, I did baptised as a child, the granny that I was talking to last night. And she's telling me about the state of the family. I remember when June Jr. got married to Doogie. They'd been living together for years. They'd backslidden. I didn't know Doogie until June got in touch. She was still a professing Christian, but not living as one, as far as I can see. So I married them in a great big fat gypsy kind of wedding, you know, the, I mean, it was like no expenses spared. They'd been living together for 18 years. Very posh hotel. Great big limousine came with a bride. Everything, I mean, pipers, the whole bit. About three weeks or four weeks later, Charlotte and I are in Morrison's down at Paisley Road West, and there's June, we're older June. I said, what are you doing here? Just being a lawyer. I'm getting divorced. And June said to me last night, she's really old now. She seems it. She said, I'm walking with a stick. She, had, she gave, she rhymed off all the illness and diseases she's got. She then talked about her daughter. Then she talked about the grandkids. They've all got autism and ADD, whatever it's called. Do you know that? And stuff. They're all full of it. And I said, June, you'll need to come back to the Lord. Yeah. Your whole family's got to come back to the Lord. Now, I christened the mother that's, that, that phoned me up and asked me to. I christened her. I held her in my arms and christened her. And I've christened the, or three or four other kids. And they're nice and free for. But that's, that's not uncommon. I can remember when that wee family went. Robert, the, the great-grandfather, get converted. And June, they get well saved. 
And I would stand outside the church. It's high up. And I could look up Dunkenny Road in Drumchapel. And about 10 to 11, they would all start coming out the closest. All the families that would get saved. You know, you don't realise they had a revival. All the families. You would see Robert and June and the kids. And I tell you, the kids were handsome and beautiful. I mean, I'm talking outstanding. And June said, not one of us are speaking to each other. I said, you mean to say, Robert, it's not going to be there. He's about 60 now. Is Robert? No, no. And what about mine? No, no. This, this and that. I know I'm not preaching this. I'm trying to talk about our need. This is a people that were really brought up in Christian homes. Mess. I tell you this, when I go on the 10th of November, I think it is, if the Lord spares us, there'll be a piper at the door and the tables will be full of drink and there's no hope for them at all without Christ. Kids that have loved Christmas, I've christened all of the kids that have got DD, whatever it is, ADA. Oh, I've done them all. They've never been to church. I preach the gospel. I tell them about the Lord. The gathering demoniac. From turbulence to tranquility. He's the answer. We go on, and we have got Jairus comes. You find the gathering demoniac in peace, and he becomes an evangelist. Next time Jesus comes, the whole place is ready for him. But when Jairus comes, he's pleading with Jesus. It said, Behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? Well, here's Jairus with a daughter dying. But there's a huge crowd around Jesus. And as they jostled their way through the crowds, making their way to Jairus' house, a woman comes who had spent every penny she had on doctor's bills. And nothing had worked. 
Nothing will work. The medicine of men will not work to cure the ills of this country or of our own lost lives. But she gets near enough to Jesus. She gets near. And we need to bring the crowds close to Jesus. Can you say amen? I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And the woman was healed, was comforted by the Lord from turbulence to tranquility. But while he was still speaking to the woman, telling her to be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, tranquility. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. I want to say this. I'm only just speaking from my heart. Scotland's dead, spiritually. Church after church in ruins. The tent hall. I used to be on the board of directors and was even asked to take it on as superintendent. God. Seated 2,200 people. It was packed and packed and packed. Then it got less until it was 1,000 and that was good, but sometimes we got 2,000. If you had an American speaker. And then it was Remember my old mother-in-law saying there was only 400 tonight. That was bad. I was due to preach one night in the tent hall on a Saturday night. I was so excited. Don Summers turned up. Anybody heard of Don Summers? I love my man. I got to know him quite well. And they invited Don to speak, and I just go sitting there like a bump in a log. But the tent hall's gone. The Bethany Hall, I was in the Bethany Hall Junior Choir in Bridgeton. Great, the sister of the tent hall. I don't need to go on. Dead. 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 Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. (sighs) 
too late for Jesus. I'm just throwing in the my sword and my shield. I'm going to America. How many pastors have done that? Some of the best preachers I know did it. I'm not blaming them. A lot. I could have gone to South Africa. Could have gone to America. Could have gone to Canada. Could have gone to Penrith. Had a beautiful church building there. But I belong to Glasgow. Dear old Glasgow town. But everything's wrong with Glasgow. For it's everything's falling down. I know that's not the right words. So I might say this. Trouble master. We need to learn to pray. To awaken and trouble the master. We need to do it. Talitha Kumai, as it says in the King James, little, you know, one word from Jesus, one touch. The woman touched Jesus' garment, but when Jesus touched that wee girl's hand, I'll finish with a speech to him, I think. Although I've got a lot of things to say. I wanted really to talk about hearing from the Lord. We are the sheep of the Lord. What does the Lord say? My sheep, hear my voice. Because I gave a lot of thought to from turbulence to tranquility. My sheep, hear my voice. Preparation before revival. Waken the master. Cry out. We're perishing. We're perishing. We're per- we are. I remember when I there was a WEC student, I can't remember his name, but he was living in my mother's house. They didn't have anywhere to stay, they skin. And I got an invitation to preach here, though. It was different from what it is now. I took the whole crowd along to hear him. And it was a busy night for this ex-student. Do you know, the church is broken. Yes. Society is broken. 
I remember a dear, dear person when I was a young boy living in Maryhill. I saw him getting out of his car. That was up the top floor. A room, a room in the kitchen room. An outside toilet. No hot water. And the cold bunker was in the living room. Looked at this beautiful, this dear friend came with a beautiful vase, the gift. I turned away and I heard, even, even though the window shut, I heard the crash. And there was Albert. Came up the stairs with this vase. What do you think happened to it? It went in the bin. What do you say this? Because the church is broken, People have been in the church. They've discarded it. That's what's wrong. We blame the people. But if it's broken, you bin it. And you go shopping for something to replace it. Humanism. Worship of angels. Become a Buddhist. Be an atheist. Broken. But I heard the Lord say, from turbulence to tranquility, that house where that wee girl died must have been in turmoil. Where's Jesus? Where's the teacher? Oh, he's, he's talking to her. A lovely old woman. My 12 year old daughter. You can just imagine. And of course, all the people were there moaning and crying. Jesus puts them out. He takes his three faithful, close disciples. Takes the wee girl by the hand. Little maid arrives. Tranquility came down. Mm. It's as easy as that for Jesus. As you say, Bill, when we started, what, what you focus on is what you become like. And I, I, I immediately thought, people with dogs end up looking like their dogs. That's what they tell me. <laughs> Although I saw a rather rotund young woman with two magnificent greyhounds at traffic lights this morning. And you know, these, these dogs were actually trotting like a horse. They don't walk like dogs that walk. And a woman was coming in the opposite way with a wee pug. <laughs> and the woman with the wee pug was a very eloquent lady, elegant lady, and the, the woman with the elegant so that's a myth that's been dispelled. You don't look like a dog. But you know, you become what you focus on. You begin to... I love to sing the chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Our children are dying. Because they're living godless lives. 
Didn't we get in school Bible reading every morning? Yes, I did. Yeah. In a very rough school with Drum Chapel, we get bust from Drum Chapel because it wasn't to to a, a, a make do school in Knightswood. But we got the Bible, we got religious education, Ari, every morning, 20 minutes. And then said the Lord's Prayer. You get in jail if you try that now. <clears throat> I can remember being up in the town of Nain and the police we were having a meal, big team and the police came into the Seaman's Hall down near the beach in Nain two big policemen and the leader of the team Reverend Bill Thompson from Aberdeen, he went out to speak to the police and then they called me. Now I had the most beautiful little girl in my church. A wonderful little girl called Yvonne. Yvonne Hicks. She started coming on her own. Her parents lived just up the road. Ackermore Road facing Dunkenny, so maybe 100, 200 yards from the church. That wee girl came to the morning service every Sunday without fail. And then she stayed on from the Sunday school. But I mean, I'm talking from about the age of five. Mm. Feet wouldn't touch the ground when she's sitting on the pew. She was now 12 years old. Loved the Lord. Everybody loved Yvonne. She'd been killed that day. Her parents had gone for the day, a beautiful sunny day, to Loch Lomond. Um, a bunch of children began to play on the beach and they, in the sand dune they had their these spades. And, well, they're 12 year old. They made a cave and it collapsed. Three kids were killed. It's hard to believe. Our kids are digging into all kinds of rubbish at school. And there's no church for them often. The world's collapsing on top of our darling children. The only good thing about the story is the mum and dad get wonderfully saved. Broken hearted. Broken, broken, broken hearted. I remember a wonderful family in Castle Milk. And they're coming missions with me into Europe. When we had these teams went out regularly for years. And they had a wee boy that would come. A wee boy grew up, joined Queen's Park Baptist. And as a young teenager, they met with the 
your fellowship. I think it was Ben Nevis. He fell off a cliff. I was with the pair of them when news came. Our kids are dying. Multitudes without Christ. From turbulence to tranquility. I'll finish with this. I remember listening to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the tent hall. It was freezing cold and he died. He wasn't well. And he had a big coat on, buttoned right up to his collar. But everything he said was riveting. And this is one of his quotes. He was 25 years in Westminster Chapel. He said, revival is people becoming aware of the presence and power of God, not of evil, but of God, in a manner never known before. The Holy Spirit literally is presiding over the meeting, directing the meeting, taking charge of it, guiding them and leading them. He knew that and lived it. Webster's Dictionary defines revival, return, recall or recovery to life from death or apparent death. Revival brings something back to life that is either now dead or seemingly dead. Revival is the renewing of the mind or memory to recover from a state of neglect or depression. Revival is to awaken. Reinvestigate. And how on earth it comes to reinvestigate, I didn't really know. So I put down after it, reinvigorate. Lord, would you reinvigorate us? Lord, as a nation, would you reinvigorate us, Lord, in our crying out to you that we're perishing? The whole fabric of our communities and cities is falling to pieces because morally and spiritually we're in dreadful decline and decay. Death has come upon us, Lord, and we need to be made alive again. Have mercy upon us. We cry out to you, Lord, for the demon-possessed, boys and girls, with all kinds of highfalutin-sounding psychological medical derivatives of demon possession. Demon oppression. We see dem demonic aggression in so many lives. Lord, we're praying for deliverance. Yes. Praying for healing, Lord, because there's a cancer of sin 
deeply, deeply eating away at the hearts and the minds of men and women and boys and girls. Lord, we're in one dreadful state. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us again. We're like Duncan Campbell, being shot to pieces by the enemy. We can see the dead all around us, the corpses. We can see the living dead, those who call themselves and are Christians but never, ever lift a Bible, never, never kneel before the Lord and never, ever attend a church. Maybe because the church is broken, Lord. It's our fault. But Lord, we cry out from this wee meeting. Yeah. Revive us, O God. We're perishing. We are perishing, Lord. The waves are about to swallow us up. We're going to be drowned in the disaster of the last days before you come. But you are Lord. And you hear our prayers. And you speak to us. Lord, we also have the facility, the faculty, to hear your voice. Because we are your sheep. Yeah. And it tells us in your words, you will even tell us things to come. Lord, would you speak to us? about revival. For we believe that in the last days, although perilous times will come, nevertheless also, your spirit will be poured out upon all flesh and our brothers and our sisters will prophesy and multitudes will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for this Saturday morning meeting. Saturate this place this holy ground, with your presence, O Lord. Saturate this place with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 9, you find these words. Then he called his 12 disciples together. One, two, three, four, ten, thirteen. That's Paul, the third one. The last, the thirteenth one. He says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. See, that comes immediately after these stories I've been telling you about Jairus' daughter, about the woman with the issue of blood, about Joanna, and uh, just everybody. The Gadarene demoniac, the storm. This is the time for the gifts. Power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He then sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Can I just pray one last prayer?
you read chapter 8 of Luke and then the next verse and the second one as well tells us. In spite of all that went on there, the drowning church, the chained and messed up demon possessed, the aged that are dying for lack of blood, the blood of the Lamb, the children that are dying. Because Christ is not with them. That says, then he called his twelve disciples. Yeah. And they both had authority. Lord, we're just joining together. Humble, humbled, and even humiliated, Lord. Unworthy, but redeemed. Lord, you're entrusting us with power and authority to cast out those demons. And Lord, as we used to say in the tent hall, if you can't cast out the demon, cast the man and the demon out. Lord, have your way. But let us, Lord, receive even right now power and authority to cast out demons and heal all manners of sickness. Receive it now. It's in the quietness, just in a moment. Receive it. There was a morass. There was turbulence. But now there's a mission and tranquility. For we are the anointed and the gifted. Remnant of believers entrusted by the Lord to bring transformation and tranquility everywhere we go. Lord, I receive it today. Yes. Amen. I receive it. We receive it, Lord. Yes. Power and authority. For Lord, oh God, we need it. And we receive it. We don't need a university degree. We just need a heart that's surrendered. We're lying like dear Duncan Campbell in the valley of death. But Lord, you're lifting us up and you're giving us power and authority. As you gave to Duncan Campbell, you're given to us. And as many as received him, to them he gave the power be called the sons of God. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.